welcome to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio, or email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today is Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. First up today, we're joined by Graham Murray of Sherry Fitzgerald to discuss the property market and how estate agents have adapted to ongoing restrictions on home buyers and sellers. So, Graham, you're very welcome. So, hi, Brian. Hi, Carol. Kurt, I suppose the first thing to ask you is with the with the market boomy as it is, um, how is how's it faring? Um, well, I suppose long and short of it is it's been an incredibly busy market since we come out of our last lockdown throughout Ireland. Um, and really, we're back to pre-pandemic transaction levels levels of activity across our kind of our across our different businesses. I suppose um, we've seen incredible growth throughout the year, and I suppose that's really come on the back of I suppose people reassessing of what they wanted in terms of their property needs coming out of COVID and coming out of lockdown. So a lot of people then kind of uh, coming out. Maybe they've been living in an apartment for the last while over kind of lockdown, really looking for more space. Hmm. Um, whether that be in Dublin or further afield in terms of we've sold a lot of properties now for, for families, couples, individuals who've kind of traded out of Dublin, traded all around our countryside and, uh, and indeed within Dublin people looking for either extra bedroom space or additional accommodation around like a home office and, and in the main actually a lot of people looking for larger garden space, outdoor space and close to kind of I suppose parks and other outdoor facilities. Well what do you attribute to the um the sudden burst of, of energy in the market because I know we had a year where it was you know very little going on and people were kind of upset with the uh, and routines were upset with all the lockdown talk and cases in hospital so I mean it seemed as if something the top, the top turned on in, in, in March or April when particularly viewing restrictions were, were lifted yeah well, I think if you take it in just a little bit of context before we went into lockdown and COVID hit worldwide the market was already incredibly busy so we were already seeing a time and a place where people were actively buying and actively selling. We went through a period of lockdown, people reassessed their needs in terms of what they wanted. There was certainly, I suppose, for many businesses, uncertainty around what was going to happen. And inevitably, there was kind of a bit of a slowdown there. But as soon as we came out, like you have to remember as well, actually, in the lockdown for this year, we were able to do all of our viewings virtually. So we did loads of virtual walkthroughs. We did a lot of kind of transactions were done over video. Uh, and that actually kind of kickstarts that market very quickly. So what it Video, felt like... Without actual physically seeing the apartment? Yeah, apartment. absolutely. Like I can tell you lots of different stories from colleagues or even <laughs> myself carrying out uh, set up appointments, do the video tours online. You can have six, seven people booking to that viewing, going through the whole thing, answering all the questions and then getting into a bidding process then thereafter. Mm. So what you do need to remember as well, that when we came out, it kind of felt like it all just happened really quickly when the kind of the shutters were lifted. But we were actually working away in the background by going out, getting properties available, putting it onto the market according to all the guidelines and restrictions at the time, then doing all the virtual videos and going sale agreed on properties and moving the market forward. So that was actually happening there, but it kind of felt like March, April, as you mentioned, turn on the top, all of a sudden this was happening. It's, there was a prelude to it or a prelude to it in terms of what was happening. So a lot of the stock that was available got taken up very quickly. And then as we move forward, then you're then trying to bring on new property to meet that existing demand and continuing demand for people who came out of lockdown. But Carol, just before you come in, it's not like, uh, you know, buy, buying a car, say a used car, for instance, and just buying it on, on, you know, on spec, not looking under the ballot. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I think once the property actually goes sale agreed, like you've got to remember, a lot of people who are buying homes are going sale agreed in that process would be quite 
familiar with a lot of the properties they'd be looking at. So, for example, you would sell kind of like a three-bedroom or a four-bedroom semi-D maybe in a state or within the development. A lot of people either grew up in these houses, they're renting in the area, so they actually know them quite well. So really the video allowed them to walk through and see what this actual house was. And of course, there'll be situations, maybe of one-off houses, individual houses, where there may be some items that wouldn't come across, like you'd have to wait to get your survey done. But you can still go ahead. That's like any bidding process, I would have thought, whether it's virtual or in person. You come in, you look at the house, and then you go to Sale Agreed and you do your due diligence by getting a survey done. That's exactly the same type of process. It was very much a case, of Brian, whether you were comfortable with that process or not comfortable with that process as a buyer and indeed a vendor. But from what we could see, we had a huge amount of people coming through, doing the videos and going to Sale Agreed and moving the sale forward. Okay, Graeme, is it too early to tell yet or do you know the, the properties that were sale agreed um, and even where contracts issued, uh, it was done subject to then uh, in-person viewing. So have you any indication of the fall-through rate? So of those sale agreed during that period that it was um, exclusively online, do we know what percentage fell through? I couldn't give you an exact one. I know when we were doing this last time around in our first lockdown, <laughs> We had about one in three, I think it was, or kind of going into a phase of either coming out of the, the agreement or renegotiation on it. Next time around, that level is even less than that, I suppose, again as well. Because don't forget, in that last phase that we went through, people were already back out and looking to kind of move forward. So I suppose they just gotten used to that process. So we actually didn't have a huge amount in terms of fall-through rates. And if we did have one, it was actually re-agreed very quickly by going back into the open market again as well. In, in terms of the technology enabling that, you know, obviously we've been beating the drum looking for uh, greater adoption of technology right across yeah. uh, the built environment. But one of the things that uh, digital, digital transformation, irrespective of the sector, one of the most important elements and maybe the, the least predictable one is the culture shift, the change and the human behavior. Now, mm. what would really focus that? So whether it was uh, maybe estate agents that were slightly... Uh, less enthusiastic about technology, whether it was buyers that were less trusting of it, or indeed sellers, uh, maybe who were just less aware of it. You know, the culture shift, everybody yeah. just had to get on board during COVID. How has that been? I think it's interesting, like, there's probably a couple of things with our own business, we'd already start investing in technology early. So actually, when we had our first lockdown, we actually, literally within 24 hours, everyone was on laptops, mobile. So it was actually, we made that shift very quickly. Um, but I think actually buyers adapted to the process very quickly. I think like any new technology that you meet or any shift, as you mentioned, culturally about how you buy something or do something can be a little bit slow to adopt. But right now, there is no issues whatsoever. Like if we look at our, you'll be aware of our own buying platform, mycherryfits.ie, but like 50%, nearly 50% of all our sale grades now are coming through the platform itself. Buyers love it because it's incredibly transparent. We can see what's actually happening, you get live updates, and you can use it 24 hours a day. So I think even by that as a measure of success, it is a very good one. So 50% of our kind of deals are going through it. So I think that's a really strong measure of both the cultural shift, as you mentioned, the company adapting to the market itself, and the buyers indeed adapting to it as well. But there's lots of other things like we talk about the technology piece around videos. That was before lockdown, that was prohibitively expensive to actually do. So you only actually saw a lot of the, maybe the upper end home markets doing it. 
Whereas now you can do it for your one bedroom apartment because people understand the benefit of it. And really from a vendor's point of view, adopting it, the video is brilliant because you may not get as much uh, quantity of people through now, but the quality of what you're bringing through is way stronger because people already have an idea of what they're coming to see by going through it on the video. So actually people coming through, the quality is so much stronger. So they already have a fair idea of actually what they're coming to view. It's just that kind of in-person viewing them that kind of, I suppose they can confirm whether it's for them or not. Yeah. Um, and the, likewise, quality, the quality is a really strong one there because mm. actually, you know, one um, estate agents across the board, you know, this isn't uh, directed at Sherry Fitzgerald, but estate agents across the board have definitely um, fallen victim to being busy fools, you know, where you had people coming, uh, prospective buyers, maybe who hadn't even started their mar- mortgage process. They were just... Um, doing the work in person that they ought to have been doing online, you know, doing the research, doing, you know, so actually getting a, a not just better quality of buyer, but by that, I mean, a, a more committed um, to the concept of buying, hmm. you know, if, if they find the right property, that has to be a positive, but how much of the culture change and the and behavioral change that we've seen, how much of that do you think will remain? Do you think it will, it will stay at that level post COVID? I think so. I think I think people are incredibly adaptable and all markets move forward, whether it's property, car markets, whatever it may be. Every single market you work with either adapts to technology or starts to fall behind it. So I think from our point of view, as I kind of mentioned, all those offers coming through, that's a clear indication that that's where the market is going. If it wasn't that strong, we, you, you might revisit some of the items that you're doing. It was a very clear indicator. Now, it'll never take away from the human element of the agency involved with the client, both the vendor and the, the, the buyer as well. Because there's a huge amount of, I suppose, going on the journey with people, whether you're a vendor, indeed a buyer as well. But technology enables things to be that bit easier. It, it enables, I suppose, quicker feedback. Uh, and I suppose that's the world we live in nowadays is everybody's compatible 24 seven and people just want to engage. But I don't think we see any change. I think videos are definitely here to stay. As I said, I would encourage every client to do one. I think the quality is brilliant on them. Uh, it's much more affordable. And I think as well, if you look at some of the other aspects of technology that are coming, like everything we can do online now, there's no more paperwork. Like I can engage with clients across the world, send out all our service agreements, ID, everything can be done online now. So there's no reason for that, but it won't take away from that interaction, the one-on-one interaction. And actually, you know, we haven't done open viewings now in, in years really now at this stage. I am stage. so delighted and to actually, hear that. I yeah, think buyers, buyers hate open open viewings. I, I think, you know, if we're all honest with ourselves, you know, having 30 people through at a viewing in half an hour or an hour is difficult to manage from everybody's point of view. I love the fact that what we've been doing over the last while has been very much one-on-one or, or you know, two households every 15 minutes. It is so much better from a level of engagement and indeed a much better level of service that you're giving both to buyer and indeed your clients as well. So from my personal point of view, I think that's a really good thing in terms of how we've been able to kind of deal with the viewings. I, I kind of, I'd like to see a lot of that kind of staying, I suppose. Yeah, and then that's a really positive thing. When we talk about um, bringing more technology into the property transaction, you know, it is really important to point out that, you know, we do appreciate that property has always been a people-based business, yeah. you know, because there's a nuance yeah. there you have to really understand. And Absolutely. Buyers and sellers themselves don't know this until they, they start into the process. But you mentioned something in the context of videos that I'd mm. love to challenge you on, maybe in terms yeah. of the bidding. Because, you know, you mentioned there that prior to COVID, not all properties were having uh, videos done. It was just cost prohibitive. So obviously, when that had to happen, 
they had videos and and uh, the offerings are there. So in, in my mind, it's just a case that estate agents um, took better advantage of them, which is great. But in terms of bidding, prior to COVID, mm. online bidding platforms, when I spoke to estate agents around the country, they might say to me things like, um, yeah, we're open to using online bidding, but not all properties are suitable for it. And there is an element of that in rural areas. But um, we saw so many more properties that previously wouldn't have been put forward for online bidding platforms. Actually, online bidding platforms were being used and they've been so successful in the last 18 months. Do you think there's been maybe a bit of a shift in thinking in the industry around these? I think, yeah, when you look at, I suppose, online bidding platforms, there's probably there's probably like private treaty and then there's the auction method of both there. So, so private treaty. Private treaty, treaty. yeah, okay. The private treaty. Yeah, I, I just think like for a lot of people, like if you listen to what the consumer is looking for, and I think this is where all technology should be delivered from, it's what the consumer is looking for. So be that with the buyer or be that the vendor. That's where a lot of your advancements and uh, I suppose improvements can be made within any industry. So it's very much consumer led. The consumers are telling us they want access to be able to bid on a property 24-7. Fine. They want access in terms of transparency. They want to be able to see when other people are bidding and that as well. And that's fine. I would agree it's maybe not always suitable for every single property in the marketplace. Um, and, you know, even our own kind of platform allows for that. Like it's always there. You, you can bid on it if you wish, but not all people want to engage with it. And that's absolutely fine. But you'll probably find people who are tech savvy or maybe don't to kind of be ages, but maybe of a certain age are more kind of used to doing these things. And that's where we see our kind of our top level of engagement coming through. But I just think as an industry, Everyone adapts to circumstance. And I think at the moment, that's where technology is bringing us. It's enabling us to do a lot more. Like I remember, you know, pre-COVID, you'd, you'd do a video tour off your phone with a client from America and stuff like that. But you'd always insist then that they have a, a family friend or somebody like that walk the property. It's not really that way anymore. And we see plenty of people buying from abroad, very happy to do so based on videos on their own interaction. They'd, they'd be investors though, Graham, wouldn't they? They wouldn't necessarily be buying... They'd be both, Brian. They'd be both, actually. So you've got people buying for investment, so it makes their life incredibly easy now. And then, indeed, if you're buying from a family home and they talk to, if you go to a college, the colleagues all around the country, they would definitely be doing things that are, are cross, uh, I suppose, non-person videos, and they're buying whether it's a relocation property, um, a kind of a holiday home, or indeed their family home, actually, as well. So, yes, you might have more interactions on certain uh, certain buyer profiles, a certain area, but it is across the board in general, yeah. Yeah, and um, that's a really positive one because one of the things we've seen is that um, uh, the property industry has been criticised for being quite opaque. You know, it was uh, lacking transparency. And over the past mm. decade, there's been huge move towards improving the transparency, which, which actually helps to build trust. So um, seeing with online bidding platforms that people, the buyers particularly, can watch the bidding process and they get alerts when there's competing yeah. bids entered. Um, so this has to improve uh, the trust factor. So is that having an impact on the relationships? As in, is it improving the relationships then with both buyers and sellers? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree from that. And I think, you know, trust is one of the predominant things that comes out of this if you can trust the agent trust the process you're much more likely to engage with 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 the whole process so i think for us again listening to what the consumer had told us that is what they wanted out of this 
Um, and I think if you're engaged with your buyers and your vendors and they trust you, then you're much more likely to continuously engage with you. And let's say it never takes away from the human interaction. Like it's great, there's a bidding, we can see it. But they're more inclined then to pick up the phone and have the chat with you then as well and vice versa as well. So trust is a huge element to it. That's what transparency, I believe, brings in, in all cases is trust. Yeah, and that's such an important one. Um, Graeme, at the top of the interview, you talked about uh, part of the process that estate agents are going through now at the moment um, is helping buyers and sellers to reassess their needs. Hmm. Now, we, we don't know yet what the full fallout of COVID-19 is going to be in terms of how people want to live, the choices yeah. they make and the priorities. But what are you seeing so far? It's interesting now we've got a situation where a lot of people are coming back to work. Uh, offices, uh, I suppose, commercial space and that as well. So, and again, people are going through change at the moment. You know, I could talk to a variety of different people, whether it be friends or colleagues, you know, I'm back five days a week, I'm back two days a week, I'm back one day a month. So you have a whole kind of, I suppose, options of people, how they're going to work moving forward. So, but we've already seen people whose businesses have already gone early and said, you don't need to come back into the office or you can come back to the office a couple of days a month or two days, whatever it may be. And they've made their property decisions based on that type of information. So I've had colleagues um, deal with uh, sellers who've completely sold up and moved very far down the country because it allows them to work completely remotely. I've had buyers recently coming from abroad, two European buyers who work in large kind of pharmaceutical companies. And they're allowed to work remotely and they've chosen Ireland, Dublin as their place to be based and work from now as well. Um, we've also got people who are selling and actually then just holding a base in Dublin. So they may need, okay, do you know what, down the line, I'm still going to need a kind of a base within Dublin. So they might buy a smaller house, an apartment that gives them that base and that freedom to do both then as well. We've got people moving to commuter belts and that's where you can see the price rises happening quite sharply now around Dublin as well because they can easily commute in and out of Dublin that as well. And then equally people based within Dublin or, or towns and that as well. And they're going for more space. They love Dublin as it is. You still have everything. The reason why people love living in Dublin, but they just want more space now. So they know, actually, do you know what? I can work in the office three days a week, four days a week, but I can do one day at home. So I need a home office space. I need to convert the attic. I need larger garden space around because we now as a family are generally spending more time together. So whether that be another reception room on top of that as well. And also that lifestyle piece, I think, is huge. I think it's funny that people are like, okay, public transport, oh, will it be as important? It's going to be hugely important for any city as it goes forward. And people just kind of get back into that now as well. So access to parks, access to bike lanes, access to public transport is, again, a, a strong mover of why people make that kind of lifestyle choice as well. And in the context of that kind of infrastructure, um, I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to go through some of the headline details from the National Development Plan, but have Sherry Fitzgerald, I mean, is, has the response come from your network of agents? I haven't been uh, chatting to the network of agents just on that. I suppose I've been kind of busy with the business at hand, so to speak, so I haven't had a chance to review everything just yet with all my colleagues. Just, uh, just to ask you one question, uh, you, yeah. you, you went through, you know, the, the, the changes in demographics and so forth as to where people are shifting to. The one, the one area we haven't talked about so far is, and I don't know if you have much contact with it, but since you're at the cold face of, of retail property, um, what's your sense of uh, the younger buyer who wants to get on the property ladder and, and can't? Uh, are you getting any sense of frustration about that or... or how is your business affected by that? Um, well, actually, it's interesting. 
78% of what we sold this year is to owner occupiers. And half of that would be first time buyers. Right. So they are still very much active in the market. Right. Um, are they frustrated? I would say yes. And I would say probably a lot of people are frustrated because we're on a 10 year low in terms of available property. So if there was more properties available, we'd no doubt see more people buying them and uh, again, more first time buyers. I suppose pricing has moved in such a manner that it is more difficult for people in general, first time buyers to buy. Um, so there will be there will be a definitely a, a level of frustration there. But I suppose like a lot of things, we're working within the market that we're working within. Um, yeah. But we can still see from our own our own numbers, Brian, that a lot of them are, are first time buyers. Just on that topic, Graham, it's interesting. There was a, there's a, there was a um, an interview with the assistant governor of the Bank of Ireland there, mm-hmm. uh, and they were talking about reviewing the the um, just the subsidy for for first time buyers. What's your attitude to that? Should it, do you think should it be reviewed or dropped or, or, or reviewed and stay? Or what do you think? Um, I think there anything to help with first-time buyers themselves coming into the marketplace. I think it's a good thing to be looked at. Mm-hmm. I think the help to buy scheme in terms of new homes is, is a very good is a very good system. I think when we look at say first-time buyers, there is a, a gearing towards maybe new homes, which is fantastic. It really is. Uh, however, there's probably less of it towards second-hand property purchasing within the marketplace. So. I do think when you look at something, you try and look at it in context and you try and look at the overall piece. So if you were doing something, I think it would be helpful to have a review and have a look at it for the secondhand market as well, because there is definitely new homes obviously coming through. COVID has slowed down that process and we need to see that improve and pick up pace. However, there are existing levels of stock there for second-time buyers. And if there was some uh, aligned uh, help for first-time buyers in the second-hand market, I think that could be a good thing as well. But like all things... There's a balance every approach. You don't want to make too many changes and all of a sudden we're, we're in a kind of a, a market that continues to rise and actually isn't helping the first time buyer. And do you think that would um, aid inflation, having that help to buy, as is the argument with some at the moment? I think with some people, they're looking at it and saying that could happen. I think it's like yeah. everything you take, it's no one silver bullet. And I think that's very important to remember when you look at all um reviews of the marketplace because one has to be careful when you review a marketplace and bring something into it we've seen it plenty of times in our past where we've made changes and it hasn't had the right outcome so i think it's not one silver bullet brian i think it's if you look at a number of different incentives that will help the overall marketplace and i think ultimately everybody will have a view on that but sometimes you've got to take kind of take sometimes it's like taking the emotion out and just having a look at like logically what are the things that could help the buyers but not affect the overall market itself Mm-hmm. The law of unintended consequence. It you know it's the stigma of yeah. all policy. Um, before we let you go, you just mentioned there in passing that twenty two percent of your buyers are investors. Um, have you have you a corresponding figure? Do you know what percentage of your sellers are investors? Well, yeah, like seventy eight percent of what we sold to have been owner occupiers. As I said, seventy eight percent and fifty percent of those are first time buyers. We're probably seeing close to thirty percent of investors exiting the market. So one off landlords. Still have, we still have that continuing trend of yeah. of um, uh, I suppose landlords, one off landlords, institutional investors leaving the market. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be close to thirty percent of what we're selling, and we wouldn't be seeing the same uptake in terms of the buyer side. And so the your um, your buyers who are investors are they are they buying with the intention? Do you know of renting the property out, or are they buying it almost as a second property or uh, for an adult child? Like, do we well, know if you yeah, if you look at some of our people who are buying from investors, some of our kind of 
families, mum and dad kind of buying long term for their kids going to college um, and taking the view and then maybe they either rent it prior to and then rent it then after that. Some are still buying from an investment point of view, I suppose money on deposit doesn't make a lot of money. In fact, in some cases, it costs you money to have it on deposit. So, um, so there are still kind of people buying into market, but just to be clear, that nowhere near uh, making up the shortfall in terms of the investors exiting the marketplace. Absolutely. And look, this might be perhaps an unfair question because it, it relies more on sentiment, but the investors who are exiting the market, mm-hmm. you know, are they disclosing why? I suppose, again, there'd be a wide variety. Some are accidental landlords, and that it's just taking this amount of time to, suppose, I suppose, unwind a position so they can exit. And we'd have an awful lot of those type of people. We'd have people who are selling investment properties because it is getting harder to be a landlord within, within the environment we are in. And we also have people who is the properties are being sold because, you know, the kids have gone to college. They've done everything the property is actually bought and intended for. Um, like I'd have two of them coming on now shortly and they're both exactly the same reason you know one was actually an old family home the son lived in it he now bought his own place he went to college stayed living in it and now bought his own place so it's surplus to requirements so there's there is a variety of issues there but um, yes is the answer it, our landlords finding it harder to be a landlord than I suppose the answer would be yes yeah, and look, that, that's been a recurring trend. Before we let you go, Graeme, congratulations to the team at Sherry Fitzgerald, I understand, um, on opening the 100th yes. office. <laughs> yeah, we opened our 100th office there in August. So we opened up uh, in Fisborough uh, on the corner there at Doyle's Corner, so a very well-known spot. And uh, so, it's, yeah, it's been hugely successful since day one. It's a very vibrant market there at the moment, big mix of kind of property types and a wide variety of purchasers as well. So 100th office, so a bit of a milestone for the company, all right. Fantastic. Well okay. done to the team. It's a huge milestone. Yeah. And thank you uh, for joining us today. That was Gray Murray of Sherry Fitzgerald. And we'll be back after a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. And with myself, Carl Tallon and Brian Fox, you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now, we have returning guests to the show today. Um, I'm joined by Ian Thompson and Ikena Nueke of Client uh, client or Commercial Tenant Engagement App and Office App. Guys, you're very welcome. We spoke previously. Um, so just for people maybe who aren't familiar, you might just remind us of what Office App does. Carol, first of all, thank you so much for having us back. We thought we blew our chances the first time, but we obviously did something well to be invited the second time around. And so what we are is uh, we are a smart office uh, platform. And what we do, in essence, is integrate with lots of different um, systems within the building, whether it's access control, whether it's parking sensors, uh, bringing together community, where all via the one platform, they're allowing the user to really interface and do everything they need to do within the office environment in a very simple and easy-to-use um, um, platform. And then at the back end, having all that data, all that lovely data for uh, landlords and corporates to, to really get a real understanding of how how their employees, how their tenants are really interfacing with their building environment. And so they can tailor it in such a way. And that's both from a physical environment and changing the actual look and feel of the open spaces and so on and so forth, or even from a soft perspective in terms of some of the services offered uh, within the building or within the campus. Okay. Um, one of the things that I'm finding really exciting at the moment, we've been doing the show for three years, but I've been involved through PropTech Ireland for about five years. And we were always talking about the potential, what the potential uh, for the technology to do. Uh, uh, and um, one of the really exciting things, if exciting is indeed the right word for a crisis, 
Um, over the past 18 months, the industry has really woken up to technology because it was needed to solve problems. So talk to me about how Office app has transitioned over the past 18 months. Yeah, um, and, and also thanks, uh, thanks again, uh, Carol, for having us and uh, uh, Ian here. So, uh, yeah, we see a big difference, uh, definitely. Uh, we, we don't as much really change our offering, but we do change uh, aspects of our product offering uh, that, uh, that now are uh, really far more topical, um, like desk booking, uh, like parking, all those elements that are far more uh, topical to have and, and to put in the hands of the end user. So we, we've seen that that, that has a, a, a really been a big change and a big move forward for us. And, and on the other hand as well, uh, it is a different and a slight change of tack in communication and the messaging uh, because a lot of the the real estate, what we've seen now, didn't really know what was going to happen, and and we still don't, to be honest. There's it's a lot of qualitative elements there, not very much quantitative, but that's exactly now where we see this big big push for a digitalization, um, because it needs to be starting to be quantified. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can't have um, uh, this, this huge uh, asset class being driven by, uh, on one hand, the the, the quantification of, of the financial side, but only the qualifica- qualification of what's aptly, uh, actually happening in the workspace and workplace. Mm-hmm. And that's changing uh, big time now. Yeah, you know, I, um, one of the things that I'm really trying to do um, over the past year or year and a half is when we talk about data, get really specific, you know. So in terms of buildings, can you tell us, uh, first of all, you know, who are your clients? What type of buildings are you currently deployed across? Uh, it's a real mix, actually, a real mixture. I mean, looking at myself, I look after primarily the UK and Ireland, um, although I am, I am looking to pick up some other countries in terms of the rest of the world, as we're seeing lots of different requirements uh, come to us. But looking specifically around the UK and Ireland, uh, the majority of um, the, the people we're speaking to are landlords, are landlord focused. That's not to say we, we don't also cater for cor- uh, corporates. We do both. The platform can do both landlord and corporates. And so... What we're seeing a lot more of, if talking about specifics in terms of some of the data, you know, some of the data has told us things like um, from a from a user perspective, people are requiring when they're going to the office, things like uh, uh, parking. And the reason for that, they want to maintain their own bubble, especially outside of locations like central London, where we all know it's very difficult to drive your car in central London in any case. But outside of that, where there's parking facilities on hand at the campus or the building, we're seeing a lot more requirements to have parking systems where individuals can book parking prior to arriving and they know they're going to have something there and maintain that bubble between home and work and back again. And it's those kind of, those kind of insights that data is helping us to push towards. And in terms of occupancy, um, for your clients across the UK, because I think um, the UK is slightly ahead of Ireland in terms of opening up. You know, we've just started to return to the office, but actually most major employers have either done a very slow and cautious phased um, return to the office, or actually they've put it out until January 2022. So where are you in terms of your clients? Do you have any idea about what percentage occupancy they're at? Um, it's it's a really mixed bag across the board, in all honesty. I mean, without putting any names in, in, in place, we saw uh, the beginning of this year, we thought it was going to be maybe a Q2, Q3 in terms of people coming back into the office. 
Um, and we thought numbers would be maybe around 50, 60%. What we're finding in some locations is um, a, that's now being kicked into Q1 of next year in terms of the real drive. And also um, the occupancy figures that we're seeing, they can range from as little as um, 20%, 25%, um, going all the way to around 50, 45, 50%. So um, in general, there has been a pushback in terms of the real you know, return to work drive. Um, and that thing, I think, is coupled with the government policies that are in place and so on and so forth. But also we're seeing that some people are, even though, you know, the last time we spoke, you know, the conversation piece was um, this, you know, te- 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 this technology ex- experiential platform. It sounds interesting, but what can it do now? It's a case of we need you. We don't know exactly what we need. Can you help us and help with that conversation? Uh, but we, it's, it's, a, it's what we're finding. It's still a, a protracted conversation. takes a long time. And so those extra timescales, IQ1 for uh, the real return to work is what we're seeing more and more of in terms of clients kicking that can slightly further down the track. Yeah. And, and what I would say in that, what has been important, at least what we see in our side is because we, we focus on both, of course, that isn't really focused, but we believe in the value of both, meaning corporate and landlords, we're, we're able to advise on, on where that stands. And also because we have a global footprint that we have a, a, a few, uh, especially from the, the, the corporate point of view, customers like a Shell or Finastro, which is a big fintech company um, that we, we, we organize and facilitate their return to work on a global level, um, we're able to give our landlord customers and potential customers in that quite some advice and consultancy of what their tenants are looking for and what the the actual users uh, um, the, the the people who want to return safely but also now in this hybrid setup uh, because we've we've in a lot of countries already moved from return to work to hybrid working and what will that look like mm-hmm. and we're able to already advise based on the big kind of companies that are are our customers who have uh, do who have strategies to make this central in their way of working in the in the future Mm-hmm. Can, can you expand on that a little? Because again, you know, this this is something that here in Ireland um, occupiers need to learn from. So in terms of um, implementing hybrid working, you know, you mentioned there about desk working. And even prior to COVID, we were seeing this move from traditional offices and traditional open plan offices yep. To, yep. with assigned desks to more of a desk booking. Mm-hmm. Um, has, the, has, has COVID um strengthen that in either direction you know are people happy to randomly take a desk or are they now going more for assigned or you know is it a case that your booking system has to incorporate an element of deep cleaning or specialist cleaning like how are you navigating that yeah yeah and that's uh what we're we're actually seeing now is that it, it's still a combination of both but, but an extra in this i think is is knowing, and it's quite rational, really. When once you think about it, is when do you want to be in the office? You want to be in the office when you think you can be the most productive. And what does that facilitate? Certain rooms or desks needed, but also certain colleagues and or even friends uh, in the workplace. And that combination now is what we're seeing is becoming very important. It's it's and and that's where we've upped uh, the 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 ante on our product and what we can actually deliver is a colleague finder linked to desk, linked to locations, so you can start sitting together uh, to be more productive or know that your colleague that that Carol you are in the office and that therefore I will come to the office and book a meeting. Uh, together, so all of these combinations are becoming becoming far more important, and we do see clear indications that these 
these functionalities, as we call them, these solutions are the ones to move forward. Uh, but there will definitely be, uh, yeah, we, we see that now that the occupancy uh, will definitely be different. Uh, it will be impacted. Uh, but to be honest, as you referred to as well a, a bit, we're already seeing this in the in the the, the emergence of flexible spaces, mm-hmm. that it wasn't only one main location and the flexible spaces like spaces, we work, et cetera, that they were uh, biting a, a, a quite a large bit off of the market, but now we're seeing that that part is also being um, being uh, brought in 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 the own home, uh, and again that has a lot of difference and a lot of uh, it's quite interesting insights. It depends on which cities you're in. If you have a high rent, like for example Dublin, uh, it's a, a lot of younger people, especially, don't have the kind of uh, floor space to have a separate room. Uh, for, to work in, so you, you see the flight more to the country or outside the cities, but you also see that the the, the younger uh, generations, uh, or, or, or maybe uh, even worse, really, but uh, less uh, higher salaried, uh, which quite uh, goes uh, quite often goes uh, hand in hand with with being uh, younger, uh, are having more difficulty in actually having this hybrid setup, even though they're the ones that are looking for it. So we, we'll definitely see. Uh, a bit of a dilemma uh, there, and and what's important is being able to know and to uh, being able to base that on uh, a bit of uh, not only the qualification but also the quantification and be proactive in the approach. You know, th- that's a really interesting one because I was thinking about um, you know the days that you might need to travel to the office, and for our own setup here, we actually opened a rural office at the other side of the country. So to support our Dublin office, we now have a Galway office, but it's it's a rural Galway office, not a, not a Galway city. Um, but you know, it's interesting actually. I hadn't considered that as you're booking time into the office that you would need to coordinate with specific team members. Um, you know, because we're so used to. We're so used to now uh, collaborating online that you forget that there is that need. So if you want to be in the yeah. office, that there is that need for collaboration. Is that something yeah. that your app could do prior to COVID? I, I'm happy to take that one. Yeah, it's well, it's it's an evolution. Um, so uh, what we, we, we as, as Ian said, we looked at what our clients were asking. We looked at the way they're working today, and then we make another iteration of that feature to develop it. And so, as Ian mentioned, the fact that um, knowing that. You know, today, if I want to go into the office next week, uh, rather than having to do a round robin and ask everyone, if I can just simply go on the app, see the day that I want to go in, say I want to be next to Carol because I need to work with you on a specific project and then book the seat next to you, um, then I turn up where we obviously we can we can corroborate in terms of whatever work product we need to produce and then we'll return back to the home environment. And even things like, just to, to throw one at you, from conversations we're having with, with, with clients, um, you know, the, the current situation or the current modus operandi of booking a meeting, if you think if there were 20 of us and some of us, you know, work for Office Hub, some of us work for another company, some of you want to be work, dialing to the meeting from home and some want to be physically there. We're already starting to think as a company how to put a feature or a, a product that will allow someone to book that meeting and then individuals to say whether they want to be working from home or physically coming into the meeting and then for it to select the right meeting room size according to the people that are going to be coming in and do all of that in a very easy, succinct way that, again, helps with that whole experiential piece that we, we really focus on. Yeah, that, that hybrid mix um, of meetings as well, I think is something that we're definitely going to have to work on to get the balance right in terms of not just physically who's there and, and who can 
um, connect in via technology, but also actually making sure that people who aren't physically in the room aren't getting the short end of the straw. You know, Definitely. as always happens on any committee, if you're not in the room to say no, you're an automatic yes. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that we need to work out there. But um, before we started, before we started the interview, uh, again, you and I just were speaking about maybe um, because I'm really interested to know the the inquiries that you're getting from Ireland. And, and I want to know from a selfish point of view, I, I want to know where the industry is at, because I've been very forthcoming by saying that, you know, we were as a country, we were probably our industry was slow to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, the last 18 months has been transformative in so many ways um, and, and many of them positive in terms of a digital adoption. But in terms of the inquiries you're getting from Ireland, you know, mm-hmm. without without being indiscreet, without talking out of school, what do commercial building owners and operators think that they need? Okay, I mean, that's a twofold question. Um, so looking at it, first of all, the, the majority of inquiries are coming from what we classify as the landlords. Uh, the landlord community have kind of woken up to the fact that, that they need to get in on this opportunity, as I see it. And when they are engaging with us, and we, you know, we're, we're being involved in a lot more RFPs, where it's a formal tender process with lots of different platforms, a big part of it is really, you can tell as part of the RFP, is getting them educated as to what we can do because there's still there's still um there's still a gap there in terms of giving them an overview of what our platform can really do and then once that understanding is there the types of things we're seeing asked for a lot of are really focused around helping the tenant bed into that building or that ecosystem or that or that campus with things like um, um access control to get into the building in a simple and easy way but it's also a great way of getting great adoption and engagement them because if you have to download the platform to get into the building we're going to have lots of users and also lots of facilities like there's lots of um there's lots of integrations we're doing with um um order order to desk or order to meeting room food facilities um and so lots of different landlords are really pushing that to the forefront as a differentiator and then also the big one is community you know, making a really sticky community platform with lots of cool things on there, whether it's coupons where you can get stuff for free, uh, whether it's events where you can you can you can pay for events or it can be free events and, and really see who's going in terms of the community and so on and so forth. So creating a really sticky environment that people want to actually jump into and utilize that helps them. Work, rest, and play. To use a mouse <laughs> adjective. Okay, no, and and there's, no, actually, there's a lot of what you've said there, and I have a couple of different inquiries uh-huh. around that. One from from I suppose to benefit the startup listening. You know, you mentioned there about an education process that has to happen with clients that there is a gap maybe in the understanding of the industry as to what your offering is. So, from a communications point of view, one of the things that I've seen. Uh, um, not just startups, but uh, technology providers do is um, when when the offering is too broad, people fail to understand it. And has that you know, and and um, through through your app, it sounds quite broad. So in terms of communicating the core messaging, is it is that difficult? Do you need to break that down on a client by client basis based on really what their immediate needs are? Um, well, we, I'll answer this first, Ian, if you want to jump in as well. Uh, we use the strap line uh, to make it very simple, the single source of truth. And that really resonates with the clients in terms of lots of different silos of data points that aren't talking to each other and are very hard to make sense of when you look at them individually. We are that spine that comes into the building that you can connect loads of these different things, whether it's access control, whether it's parking, whether it's um, a community, 
And having all of that in one place really helps understand from a data perspective uh, how best to move that building forward in terms of some of the some of the facilities and some of the experiences you're trying to create for whether it be employees or tenants. I love that you're using the term single source of truth because you know that that's actually um, that is the basis for the Unisu platform. And that's actually where the name comes from, you know, because it is a single source of truth for uh, essentially for the technology feeding into the built environment. So actually, I think that that's a really good core place to be starting from. You know, the other thing you just mentioned there in terms of, um, you know, people having to download the platform in order, you know, uh, your app, does it need to be downloaded? Can it be accessed through web app? Does it, um, do all users need to download it on their phones? To, to get the most out of what we know, first of all, we look at the data to say, what, what, how are users interacting with our platform? Most are interacting it via a handheld device. That's that's just one of the facts there. And so really to get the best out of it, and, and it, it, we, we try to look at it from the point of view as the point of least resistance. So if you're physically coming into a building today using a plaque to swipe in and out, all we're saying is, you know, and we'll provide a, we'll, we, we've got a whole team that will help with the digital launch into any particular building. And um, we can even, we even have events and, and, and competitions to incentivize people to want to actually download the platform. So it's, it's, a, it's as painless as possible uh, in terms of actually doing that. And then once you're on there, as I've mentioned, with all these, you know, some, some of these great um, things that we're doing, whether it's events, um, being able to understand what, it, and even from the point of view of campuses where you've got different businesses on there, all of a sudden being able to cross-pollinize and know your different people that weren't uh, working with you um, to understand who they are, what they're doing, and really create a much more cohesive community. It's then, it, it, it's almost like a, a little thing as a hurdle at the beginning to get over, to get all the benefits at the back end. Do you think this industry does community well? Um, I'll definitely take that one. I, I don't think we do uh, as a, as an industry. It's uh, it's uh, it's seen as a, a bit of a necessity, um, and on its own, and and that's what we've seen in because yeah, Carol, you're, you're absolutely right. We 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 are really the the opposite of focused, uh, but in a good way. Uh, and but what that means, for example, for us. Uh, and and that's where we've always taken a, a not a, a short term perspective, but a longer term perspective on this. What it means, for example, that the community cannot live without an access control or a room booking or now where you see a colleague finder or uh, or, or desk booking or uh, health and safety um, uh, check ins, all the things that are very relevant now and in the next steps forward, uh, it will be ESG elements as well. But all of that feeds together to work as one and makes really make sure that it's that it's uh, used a lot. So the adoption engagement is very high on, on our platform. And, and therefore, we can also start uh, being the more consultative um, seller or consultative uh, slash advisor uh, to to our customers. So um, just coming right back to your to your answer or to your question there, I, I don't think we do community well uh, because it can't work on its own. Yeah. And also to kind of second what, what, what Ian said, you know, what, what, what I'm seeing in terms of requirements or requests from clients actually is can you, can you offer much more support in terms of uh, your teams with um, things like sourcing events for us? And, uh, and and curating even even the actual you know even the the um, the images that potentially would be pushed onto the platform we're seeing a lot more of that being asked uh, because you're absolutely right the the, the 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 community as a whole the sector as a whole isn't fantastic at doing uh, the community piece 
Yeah, and uh, do you know what? I, I think it's very telling, probably um, of the pandemic, <clears throat> that it's taken us 20 minutes to actually touch on the subject of ESG because I would imagine prior to COVID, that was one of the strongest drivers. Uh, definitely, uh, uh, definitely, and and it still is. Uh, it it still is a very strong driver with the, the 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 bigger both corporate customers and landlord customers. Of course, there is there's a big push from from all their um, institutional lenders to 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 do this in the next years uh, slash decennia. Um, so there are, and I, I think that really is this this to get COVID together with the underlying push on ESG, uh, where you can also use community. But it, it's not only about uh, building in, in a more efficient way, it, it's also about communicating of what you've done and, and being able to influence or, or the, the behavior around uh, in the workplace, workspace, uh, around being uh, more environmentally social. Yeah, the governmental, the, the governance is, is a little bit more difficult, but the environmental and social is definitely are definitely elements where Office App is also being used um, as, as, as a driver, especially on the end user point of view. And then together with hybrid working, I think there's some hugely, or there are some hugely, uh, um, huge ma- macro trends driving us forward on this. Well, talk us through some of those trends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think, yeah, having named two already with, uh, with, with hybrid working, as, as I said before, just maybe revisiting. It's not about mostly in most countries at the moment. It's not about return to work anymore. It's already gone to uh, hybrid working. Uh, so, so that one will be a big push, especially now on the corporate side, getting your employees back to work, slash the war on talent, which is bigger than ever, um, which also has a link to ESG. A lot of the, the very mindful new workforce coming in uh, where you do have to f- uh, find a good position on your, especially environmental, but also social setup. Um, but that pushing that forward and 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 uh, the landlord following in that as well, because the landlord now has to understand more and more of what's happening in this workplace workspace and not depend as much on, on the property managers slash third parties. So uh, that's where we see a lot of, and that was already starting, a lot of direct um, uh, a direct relationship with the data that we offer uh, and then therefore how landlords uh, and their tenants are pushing this forward and ESG of course as well um, and we're at the we're at the beginning of that uh, to and that and those two elements really are now the, the ESG on I'd say a, a, a slightly longer term perspective but the hybrid working is moving into that as one total to to really really accelerate uh, the the digitalization of uh, of the real estate. You know, there's a lot there's a lot in what you've mentioned there, and one of the things that you know you talk about is <laughs> the importance of landlords understanding you know what a change workplace is going to look like. But that yep. seems like an incredibly tall order right now. When frankly, there's just no way of knowing what you know how humans are going to respond you know we've already seen over the past 18 months that you know surveys that were carried out you know maybe quarterly that there was this huge appreciation of working from home and then there was this almost resistance to working exactly from home. and you know yeah. so we're still at the stage where actually when we return to the office or to the workplaces you know how safe are people going to you going to feel because I, I don't know what it's like internationally but in Ireland employers are not allowed to ask if employees are vaccinated so therefore they have to work on the assumption that they are not even though um yeah. you know close to 90 percent of the adult population now is 
uh, doubly vaccinated, employers have to take the position that they're not because they're not allowed to ask and they have to default. Um, yep. So how is that working internationally? Yeah, so so here as well, and and I think at the moment and and for the short term, it will very much be qualitative. Uh, how, how do people feel? Uh, and and I think that is a very important aspect of that because it will be quite psychological. It could be quite psychological as well. But what now we're seeing because of the introduction of platforms like ourselves, the that it it's going uh, off only the qualification to more of the quantification as well. And, and and this will take a bit of time, uh, but now we already for um, for some of our customers, uh, what one is, is for example Colliers in Poland, where we're uh, we're helping them to uh, to uh, uh, plan uh, how that return of work uh, will work um, based on the amount of bookings that will be done, not only on desk booking but also on the access on room booking, all bringing this all together to then predict. Um, what that uh, that 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 w- will look like and where that will level off, and I think as well, uh, w- which will have even more impact uh, is when, uh, meaning uh, not exactly when everyone will be back, but w- when are the different services, the different functionalities, meeting with desk being used? Monday versus Tuesday, Tuesday versus Friday, uh, and and we're getting a lot of information uh, now on that, a lot of data on that to really be able to predict quantitatively, so securely. Uh, on on how that return to work will be so uh, and and uh, so th- this I think now will be the next big step in the next six months where everyone is looking to to quantify it and then yeah we'll, we'll be stepping away from a, a lot of yeah I think it'll be thirty percent or I think it'll be seventy percent uh, and we'll we'll have a lot more numbers in the market. Yeah, thank you. Kind of before we finish up, um, I'd love to just know your opinion there in terms of trust and technology because the real estate has a trust problem it's had a technology problem could it be that technology could actually become one of the tools for rebuilding trust for the industry and and um its users it's a very good question you pose actually a really good one and you know i've worked in property for the last god and one guys or another maybe for 12 13 years now and i've always, when i first came in um, even up to now, until recently, the whole my whole um, outlook on properties, it's quite opaque as an industry. It's almost like a dark art. You know, how do they quantify buildings in RICs in, in, in terms of pounds and pence and why and so on? And something goes at this end, it comes out completely different to the other. And I do think there is a place for um, technology and it absolutely can. And, and, and it's many different guises, whether it's blockchain, where you can fully understand all the different um, adaptations of a building and, and being in one place is incorruptible. So it will help with the buying and selling process, whether it's looking at quantitative data rather than the asset manager kind of on a Friday will do this after speaking with just one individual for the company, having all that data that fully tells you what's happening, why, and will allow you to make the informed decision as to what you need to change. Uh, uh, you know, before it was very um, based on a person's understanding. I think now it can be much more precise uh, and based on qualitative quantitative data and i think that can only help with uh, creating much more trust within the within the property industry well that and maybe getting some case studies that can really inspire the industry as well um you know and i think that's something that maybe the prop tech sector haven't been great at doing and need to do an awful lot more so it's something that i hope if you guys are undertaking projects like that that um are, are you doing that are you actually releasing case studies maybe of buildings that you're operating in 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've got some great case studies. You, you, you may have even heard of, you know, to throw one in the mix, and I'll give you one here. Like, you ask you for names. We're working with a you know, developer, a middle cap, on a great project in Southwick. And, you know, that, that has got some rave reviews in terms of the Europe, Europe's smartest building, uh, certified by SBC. And, you know, it really helped in terms of positioning that building compared to others in that in that lo- geographical location of London. And even with things like the leasing program, you know, the, the, with the agents able to potentially show potential um, uh, tenants of the building, how the, the, this particular building has been flooded with technology and some of those um, benefits, it drew in a, a much more technological focused type of tenant base because they've started to get leases signed and also help with in, in terms of reducing the uh, the leasing cycle in terms of getting someone interested in, in, in signing. And then lastly, it even helps, you know, this particular landlord took the view of, you know, flooding the whole, whether it's the landlord space or the client space, the whole ecosystem. So the, 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 the potential tenant would turn up and say, okay, uh, this is what I get as part of the, the lease into in this platform that is wired to allow me to book and X, Y, and Z. And what we were seeing is uh, uh, even helping with things like uh, um, service charge costs and so on in terms of embedding that in there. So it's a great story. We're telling it. Hopefully, I think that we need to be telling the story louder. We need to be sharing it wider. Definitely. You know, And that's certainly something that we'd like to do. Um, and, and we might get onto that another day. But um, for now, thank you both. Uh, that was Ian Thompson and Ikan Nueke of Commercial Tenant Experience App, Office App. That's it from us this week. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound. We're back at the same time next week from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Talon. Stay safe.